all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Yellow! <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things, wherein your intrepid, child free by choice, or childless by choice, hosts have been caring for children for a large amount of time. We have, but guess where they are? Not here. Not with us. <laughs> Because they don't live here. They don't. And they're not ours. So <laughs> That's we, right. So we can send them away. Mm-hmm. With their, with their mother, of course. We didn't, oh, with we their didn't, parents. Yeah, yes, we, absolutely. We didn't, they're not standing out <laughs> on the corner right now. We just banished them to the, to the cul-de-sac. Like, here, figure it out. Yeah. Grow up. <laughs> You're 10 and 6. <laughs> Be like your great-grandfathers and go work in the coal mine. <laughs> Oh, silly regulations, things like child labor, whatever. Yeah. Don't enjoy your childhood. It's full of pain. <laughs> Follow us, if you dare, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at AllBadThingsPod. Email us at AllBadThingsPod at gmail.com, including if you want to participate in the All Bad Things Anti-Capitalist Gift Exchange Bonanza. Extravaganza. Oh, you're right. Extra- Was it an extravaganza or well, a bonanza? It can be both. I think, I think it can be both. Okay. It can be an extravaganza bonanza. <laughs> That's perfect. That's what I'm going to call it. The extravaganza bonanza. The anti-capitalist extravaganza bonanza. <laughs> or should it be a bun extravaganza or an extravabonanza? No. That, yeah. yeah, that's going on. Okay, Ex- extravaganza bonanza. That's yes. what I'll call it. That that's that, that works better. <laughs> hey, what you drinking? I am drinking the best known in the entire world national local beer best in it's but it's a national local beer so but it's the best it the it's the best world. no it's the best known national local beer like oh, of all nations of all nations okay okay i am drinking you picked this out for me it's very good crumble to the core apple pie blonde ale uh courtesy of deep river brewing out Which of johnson they, county they really never miss deep no. river everything they make is good yes may i Yes, you may sample. Yes. It is good. It's like a, almost like a sour a little bit, but it's got the it's got that bent apple to pie, it. yeah, spices. It's really good. Um, let's see, this will be coming out, we are recording this like the weekend before Thanksgiving, but I think it's coming out like a week later. It will be, yes. So we're trying to the get fo- back. <clears throat> the following Monday. Yes, we're trying to get back on like a recording ahead schedule because do you realize that tax season is like... But 45 days away. But that's why we've stashed a lot of research. <laughs> exactly. Um, I am stashing it like a little chipmunk. All it, the research is in my cheeks. <laughs> but the uh, for the Thanksgiving week episode, mm-hmm. they they heard our fantastic miracle sode, which that's right. completely qualified as a miracle sode because oh. there were no fatalities. Oh, yes. And it's an amazing story. It's ridiculous that that man survived. I was going to say, there were no fatalities where there should have been at least one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And... Yeah, at least. You're right. At potentially the whole plane. Mm-hmm. Because it could have happened that that door would have not just blocked the throttle, but like 
clean took off the handles or any number of things could have happened horribly wrong and they didn't so sometimes everything works in everybody's favor sometimes it's a rare occasion but um so last weekend like in real time with us we babysat for so we have uh two nephews and a niece who moved here recently uh, 10-year-old nephew, 8-year-old niece, and 6-year-old nephew. And we had 6-year-old nephew for the weekend. And 6-year-old nephew has a one-track mind for one thing <laughs> and one thing only ever in his life. His life is built around Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> I don't or even... Or Gohera. Know, yes. Do you know the... um? the origins of that like why he ended up i just know that he has been for a couple years now dan has hinted here and there that um that he's watched that Mm -hmm. yes his father has hinted that he watched those movies too but no so maybe he like showed him to him him a vhs or something he just like glommed on to it Yeah. yeah that's funny that's funny so last weekend i'm pretty sure we watched in full twice Godzilla Final Wars. Yes, we did. <laughs> Which, uh, for fun, is a direct sequel to the 1954 classic That's right. Godzilla. That's right. This was Godzilla Final Wars. That's right. Or as our nephew liked to say it, Final, Final Roars. Roars. It's hard to tell what he's saying now. I think he, I think he's trying to say Final Wars, but it comes out Final Roars. Final <laughs> Roars. Final Roars. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, so yes, yeah, so we've been inundated with Godzilla. And children. So that made me look... I'm not sure which is worse. <laughs> I think I'd rather not be melted by the fire from a radioactive monster. It'd be kind of cool, though. Kind to of. To observe. Maybe yeah. I'm not sure to, about to be To the observe person. it happening to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Not sure about being the That wouldn't leave you up at night at all. Exactly. (laughs) So last weekend when we were babysitting him, I was looking at the Wikipedia article for like the origins of Godzilla. Um, And I found a topic perfect for our show. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So we have another origin story. Yes. Per se. Yes. Um, and maybe one day, I don't know, like 15 years from now, Zach will listen back to this and know that he inspired episode 178 of the world's greatest podcast, which we will be known as at the time, I'm sure, (laughs) 15 years from now. Um, so this, my friends, is the story of Daigo Forkuyu Maru, or Lucky Dragon 5. Okay, I like it. Have you ever heard of this? No, okay, no so idea. on March 1st, 1954, thermonuclear weapons testing at the Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean resulted in nuclear fallout that affected the entire crew of the fishing vessel Daigo Furkuryu Maru, which translates roughly to Lucky Dragon 5 or Lucky Dragon Number 5. This incident along with the traumatic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the end of World War II, would go on to inspire the birth of a film franchise that endures to this day. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you knew it had something to do with radiation fallout, like the whole... Oh, oh, there's, oh there's this giant lizard. In 
to yeah. this. I tell you, I wrote this all in one afternoon. By the way, that highly influenced uh, 50s American sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of these morphed creatures. Mm-hmm. like From radiation. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That makes absolute sense. So a main sources for this were the Atomic Heritage Foundation. Uh, this was a really informative article. It was from a, a blog called Birth Movies Death. Uh, the Criterion Collection, as in, you know, like oh, for yeah. films. Yep. Uh, a YouTuber called Cynical Justin. <laughs> History, both.com and .co.uk. A blog called The Olympians. Smithsonian Magazine. The United States Office of the Historian, which I didn't know we had one. The Washington Post and Wikipedia. So, we've talked at great lengths on the pod about the effects of World War II on Europe, like post-World War II, especially the Eastern Bloc, as well as the USSR. But the times we've mentioned Japan, and even when we've talked about the atomic bombs dropping on the country, we haven't really gotten much into what life was like after the war in Japan. So that's where we're starting today. Fair warning, if you don't like when we get political, like, skip this fucking episode. It's all (laughs) politics. Um, So to review, (laughs) we have mentioned this. This is well-known historical fact. Japan was bombed twice with nuclear weapons by the United States. Correct me if I'm wrong, but still the only time nuclear weaponry has been uh, deployed deliberately in wartime. Or at all, right? Period. Okay, yeah. Um, the first bomb, known as Little Boy, was dropped on the city of Hiroshima in southwestern Japan on August 6, 1945, by the U.S. B-29 known as the... Enola Gay? Yep. Uh, Little Boy is estimated to have killed 20,000 Japanese soldiers, and somewhere between, and this is awful that it's so, like, eh, somewhere in this range, 70,000 to 126,000 thousand civilians Uh, i've for that first bomb i've heard generally it's agreed upon just for simple math killed about a hundred thousand civilians that's certainly within that range yeah yeah that's about mid-range right Mm -hmm. um it 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 killed an estimated one-third of those living in hiroshima imagine if a third of raleigh residents died like uh, that's horrific it also killed i believe like uh eight or nine american pow's oh yeah i believe that I believe that for sure. Um, it also destroyed about 70% of the city, meaning like the buildings mm-hmm. and stuff. Three days later, the city of Nagasaki, also in southwestern Japan, but like in the extreme southwestern part, became the victim of the second bomb called Fat Man, dropped by another B-29 called, do you know what the second one was called? Uh, I... Any chance? I don't. I, I had never heard this. It was called the Boxcar, but spelled B-O-C-K-S-C-A-R. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, that killed an additional 39,000 to 80,000 civilians, and I think like 150 soldiers or something. The total estimated deaths from bo- both bombs is estimated between to be between 129,000 and 226,000 people, which is awful. Here is also a sobering thought. Here in the United States, our COVID deaths have surpassed the number of people who died in both bombings of Japan by us. Hmm? Well, we've also bombed and killed this many citizens of our own country. So the difference, us. the difference being uh, the Japan incident that happened in two different occurrences. 
the our death toll has been it's ongoing yeah. it has been eight or nine months long which it, and it's it, gonna keep going well it makes a difference psychologically yeah if you're a, right if a tragic hap- event happens all at once it's really tragic if it's slow moving and kind of oh, a thousand here a thousand there it doesn't have the same sort of impact you're right that people don't view it the same way mm-hmm. yeah that's true that makes sense the bombings brought a swift end to the war in the Pacific Theater, with Japan surrendering, surrendering on August 15th, 1945, VJ Day, right? Followed by an official document of surrender on September 2nd, 1945, which was signed aboard the U.S. battleship Missouri in Tokyo. They have lots of pictures today. Here is the actual picture of, of the ceremony. The, I've yep, seen this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Do you know who is there? What famous World War II and Korea figure is overseeing this all? Um, did you say World War II and Korea? Yeah. Yes, yes. He oh. was involved in both. Oh. Um, Most God. notably World War II. Oh, uh, my God. You'll know as soon as you hear it. It's yes. okay. So, one of the seminal figures of the surrender and the subsequent Eisenhower? events of Japan. Eisenhower was involved later, but uh, was General Douglas MacArthur. Yes. At the time, he was 65. Wow, really? No. And a lifelong military man and one of the biggest names in the U.S. military history and smoker of a truly unusually shaped pipe. This is MacArthur and his... He kind of looks like Ronald Reagan there. He very much does. If you just show me a picture and said, that, hey, that's Ronald Reagan. Like in a like, movie oh, or okay. something? Yeah. But what's, he was, that, what's the pipe? I don't know. He was also born, you got to remember, in the 19th century. That's true. He was born in the 1890s or like his, 1890 or his something. His coming of age years were, he probably did go working in a mine. Yeah. <laughs> you might be right. <clears throat> so he had risen to the role of Supreme Commander of Allied Forces. Yes, he did. Yep. In the Southwest Pacific area in 1942. I had no idea there was such a... Uh, rank as supreme commander that he sounds was, like star wars i'm pretty sure he was the the one that um gave the famous speech for when we were when we were storming europe oh like but he was in the pacific D-Day, uh well I, maybe i don't know i mean i, I might, i'm crossing up my i have uh, World heard War II. Oh, the name of, of macarthur sure. but i had zero idea about him until i did this research um I feel like... I, I shall say nothing henceforth. Maybe it was... Eisenhower was a general at the time, he right? Was, Wasn't yes. he was, Yeah, okay. Um, so the U.S., headed by MacArthur, was left to lead the occupation of post-war Japan. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even realize, but of course, that's what horrible capitalist imperialists do um, upon, like, conquering and... This war was a little bit different. I mean, it it really. I will grant you that. Th- but this was not a. This was not a. Um, a proxy war I get at that. all. I get that, and I I, I agree with that. Um, I still have a problem with full blown occupation. I feel uh, like... understandably so, but it for something in, of this nature, it needed to happen for a certain amount of time, not forever. Well, do you know how long it happened? I I couldn't tell you. Let's learn, because this was the first time I learned would, about My guess it. would be 10 years. But, well, you're not far off. So there was an allied council as well that included members from the UK, the USSR, and China. But the council served only in an advisory capacity. MacArthur was basically the dictator of Japan. 
Like he he was the last word. I'm not I'm not implying that he was nefarious. I'm just saying like he got the final say in everything that happened sure. in Japan politically. He was the installed the leader. Yeah, yeah, basically. Not really because he kept on the emperor. Sure. Um I didn't get really into that, but that was a whole thing. So the first phase of the US occupation of Japan included the prosecution of accused war criminals as well as completely dismantling the Japanese army. Um, so the prosecution of war criminals very uh, similar to Nuremberg, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of same idea. I think I read that they prosecuted only like almost 5,000 people and a thousand of them received the death penalty. It was pretty hardcore. Um, this first phase also addressed the now collapsed Japanese economy, which had suffered not only from the loss of war, but widespread destruction to its actual physical industrial plants and infrastructure. I mean... The, the bombing, the fighting, oh, sure. everything like that just ravages the physical part. And, and we'll get to the mental stuff later, but it just ravages the physical part of industry. Free market capitalism was propagated and labor unions were allowed to form. So it was a weird like, hey, we need to be free market. But here, but let's also union. introduce unions. But you know what? Back in the 50s, unions, I mean... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like unions were a lot more prop like oh, forth and accepted in the 20th century, right? That they were the... stronger in the United States in the 50s. Mm-hmm. That's probably you know what the 50s and 60s was probably about their peak. Yeah. As far as you know yeah. their their political power, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's I I almost think they were doing that with Japan just as a you know a trial balloon, Maybe. so to speak. Like yeah. let's see how this works. Maybe. We're going to introduce capitalism. Along with, with unions. unions. <laughs> yeah. hmm. It's interesting. It's an interesting uh, dichotomy. So huge business conglomerates known as Zaibatsu in Japan were broken up to allow for free market competition. So they're basically breaking up monopolies. <laughs> It'd be nice if they could do that here. And rich landowners lost political favor over majority tenant farmers. So they were kind of... This is the the shit that capitalism pretends to do, which is like break up monopoly and um, protect capitalism. Right. Yeah. Like reined in capitalism. Well, what it succeeds in doing here and there is bringing in capital. I mean, that's the whole point. Well, it's money. Yes, (laughs) it does create money. (laughs) How that gets dispensed, that's the... That's the whole... Or, how, or who controls it is the whole problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a whole game. Yep. Investments were made to rebuild Japanese industry, including major pu- pushes in the electric, coal, steel, and chemical sectors. In 1947, a new constitution was forced that limited the power of the Japanese emperor and shifted to a greater parliamentary system. So the idea is moving away and, from a dictatorship. And we wrote that constitution for them. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what happened. That's why I said forced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was deliberately like, done. Here this. you go. We're just dropping this, this off on your happening. desk. This is what's happening. MacArthur is just like, hey, by the way, I'm I'm the leader, so here you go. <laughs> Did you get that memo? <laughs> <laughs> the new constitution did very notably make gains for civil rights for women. Women got the right to vote in Japan for the first time. Because of this new constitution in 1947. 27 years behind us. That's not so bad. 
Uh, yeah, you're right. Oh, God. Yeah, we had it before them, thank- <laughs> thankfully. But not soon enough. Jesus <laughs> no. Christ. Okay. And eliminated all non-defensive armed forces. Hey! That sounds like a great idea. What do you say we do it here and stop fucking piddling away trillions of dollars in horrific crimes against humanity? Okay, I'm going to stop. Because what's the fun in that? <laughs> Imagine if we followed our own advice in that. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, regardless, of course, life was anything but a bed of roses for the Japanese people, um, both before this occupation or during it. So first off, there was a shit to imagine. Almost a quarter million people but up to almost a quarter million people died in the bombings or from the fallout. Instantaneously. Now imagine all the people who were affected by oh, yeah. it. And all those which, people's friends and family. Which, which would be everybody. Basically. At least in that area, right? I mean, because this is the 40s, so we're not mm-hmm. talking about the same level of... Um, there are plenty of people who survived the bombing. Yes. And died... Decades months, later. Two years mm-hmm. Five years, mm-hmm. ten years later. Yeah. I mean, all, yeah. And not only had thousands been killed, but a huge number of people were injured, some horrifically. Sure. Some people were maimed. Some mm-hmm. people were, am- like, amputated limbs or suffered from radiation sickness, which I, we're going to get to later. I've, and I've seen pictures of bodies, like, people are still alive, but they're third-degree burns everywhere. It's, obviously. It, you know, like... I don't know if I've shared with you all that I'm a, kind of a harsh critic of U.S. foreign policy <laughs> and or U.S. anything. Um, and uh, those bombs were a crime against humanity. I mean, because it included yeah, civilians. Yeah, I'm period. I'm I willing. Mean, I'm definitely willing to say that nowadays. I don't that's, think it's that's acceptable. not that, that's not how it was taught to me. But yeah. Yeah. There are other factors that are involved that I know about now that I didn't like. I mean, Russia had invaded the northern part of Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't, like, this whole thing. Like, like, this wasn't the only way to get it done. It was, like, this whole land thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plenty of people would have died, but it, it wasn't what they say now. And we, again, that was a trial balloon. Yeah. We just did two of them. Because we... we <laughs> People don't understand how racist we were against Japanese people in the 1940s. And then Horrifically. And, <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Just look up poli- any just random political literature from like the 1940s and 50s and yeah. And I'd like to say we're past that now, but fuck no. This we're, country's racist as fuck and that we're includes past, against Asian people and even Asian Americans. We're not we're past them because they no longer have the target on their backs. Um, we're, we're China disease anybody I mean like where have we heard that from oh our fucking asshole dipshit motherfucker of a fuckface president yeah so yeah racism is still there against Asian people oh my god (sighs) children I've been dealing with children (laughs) children where are all the the patrons You saw how punchy I got with Danny when mm-hmm. we were playing cards. Um, I, I, I think my goofiness played well for, for that yes. purpose. It yes. was entertaining. Okay. Survivors of the fallout uh, gained their own, like, name. 
of Hibakusha, which basically translates to explosion-affected people. Mm. They were often abandoned and shunned by other people who erroneously thought that their radiation sickness was contagious. Which is horrific. Uh, it's also understandable at that time. Nobody knows what this because is. Because the information is not being given. Education is not being given. Yeah. 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 Um, as for those who weren't victims of the bombing, the, just the stress, the exhaustion and depression caused by the war. I mean, okay, COVID anybody? Like, we at least mm-hmm. have some, like, uh, analogy for this right now. Just the overall stress of, of a particular event. We kind of have a... A frame of reference not to this extent but we have a frame of reference right well i mean i can the parallel i draw from this time to oh, now 11 no no, no. is okay. uh how they're feeling after this is post-world war ii japanese people are probably very much almost exactly like uh post-2020 ele- uh 2020 election trump people oh, they yeah. were right. so sure they were gonna win because they'd never even considered any other, and they've, yeah, so, and they've lost. So, so I it's... get that, but you know what? I gotta say, I, I'm not sure I can speak to that completely, because what I didn't get into too much was the political beliefs of the Japanese people, whether... I'm, I'm just saying the feeling of victory over defeat. That's... I, I gotcha on that. I'm just or, or like... Or actually vice versa. Yeah, defeat over victory. <laughs> yes. But like... um. There were a lot of people in Japan who weren't on board with what was going on. That is true. That is very true. Um, so, but basically, like, there was just such an emotional toll, not to mention physical toll, that the war was um, basically an albatross around everybody's neck. And they, there was another term for it. It was called a kiyodatsu, just this, this burden mm-hmm. on everybody. Nine million people were left homeless. Yeah, that's not surprising. In the wake of the war, starvation, malnourishment, super common. Employment. Disease. Yes, employment was almost impossible. Sure. Um, Because an estimated 5 million Japanese people repatriated from military and civil service posts abroad. Mm. So Came back home. Yep, so you flood the market with... um, employees like with with labor force and not the infrastructure to support it yeah it was a nightmare it sounds like an absolute nightmare so so that was kind of like the downside during all of this but there are gains being made in terms of civil rights being added and trying to rebuild the economy but after that relative sort of like okay we're, we're building this back up between 1947 and 1950, things were really not looking up for Japan. So its economic crisis reach, reached ahead, though its resolution would come from a really unlikely place. So you know why this all kind of ended in 1950? Hmm. The Korean War. Oh, sure. Well, there, yeah, I, I guess saw I saw a sense. quote. It was something like... Um, uh, there was a quote that's a Japanese person, it must have been a person of note, but at any rate, said, like, uh, the Korean War is what saved us, <laughs> which is, like, irony of all ironies, right? The American government was like, hey, it's okay, guys, we're on to the Koreans now. <laughs> and 
we have talked about the Korean War. We, we've already dominated you. You're you're good. <laughs> we talked about the Korean War relatively recently in the Korean famine episode. Yes, we did. So you can listen back to that if you need a refresher. But at the beginning of the Korean War, MacArthur, General MacArthur, had been like unanimous, unanimously appointed by the U.S. government to take post as commander of the Korean War of the conflict. He initially lived up to the confidence put into him. He made good strategical decisions that helped protect South Korea. Unfortunately, he also, very predictably, had a pretty good-sized ego <laughs> and liked to openly criticize then-President Harry Truman. Like, mm-hmm. this was a well-known, like, in the press sort of openness So he and Truman disagreed about the overall strategy of the war. When Chinese forces helped North Korea force U.S. troops to retreat to South Korea in late 1950, MacArthur wanted to open up the conflict to the neighboring country and bomb China. Mm -hmm. MacArthur wanted to bomb China. I did see this part in the documentary I watched before. Yeah. Okay. And we wound up fighting them anyway. Uh, well, in Korea, mm-hmm. but not. Yeah. He wanted to bomb China. Itself oh, I know, but the, on but Chinese soil, China sent soldiers into Korea to fight us too. You're right about that. You are right about that. Which I didn't know until I watched that documentary. No, you're completely right about that. But what I'm saying is that no, he wanted, he wanted to, to go right after them with yeah. their billion people. I mm-hmm. mean, anyway, that's what that's what MacArthur wanted to do. Truman was like, no. We are keeping this localized. We are not opening this up to the entirety of China. Anyway, the animosity between these two men became really public and it left the world wondering like, okay, who's actually setting U.S. foreign policy? Is it the president or is this the five-star general? Who's running the country? Yeah. Yeah, basically that's what they were asking. And in a shock move, Truman like put his foot down and he relieved MacArthur of his duties. He, Jeez, like, uh, fired him. Imagine a Democrat having balls. Like, I, I, I just, I can't even imagine it. Truman was a Republican, was he? No, he was not. Was he? Yeah, he was. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay, all right. Truman was uh, FDR's last vice president. Yes, because That's... he served the very end of that term and mm-hmm. then served two terms. Well, he so. served. He served like a term and like three quarters. No, I think he served. He served from. He served until nineteen fifty. Six to fifty. No. Eisenhower was in nineteen fifty one. No, fifty two, fifty three. He he became really? president. Okay. Yep, because there was a presidential election. Oh, in you're 1960. correct. Yes, because Kennedy was nineteen sixty. So it was Eisenhower. Was Eisenhower reelected? He was right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he would have been. He was also a Republican. Dr- Dr- yeah, tr- no, Truman run, won two elections. He served a modicum, like a tiny bit of an end. Because, oh no. No, you're any, right. Any, no, no, no. Anyway. He served a large bulk of the second term, of a first term. I think, then, I think anyway. we both confused each other and I you're don't right. even know where the audience okay. is. But at any rate, it was like, it was. this was a big fucking deal at the time. He replaced... Somebody showing... Uh, in case you were wondering, <laughs> what I'm, the, like. I'm the president. Mm. Yeah. Oop, what did I do? It's all right. I think it's still recording. Yeah, okay. it is. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I accidentally hit a key. Anyway, um, so he replaced MacArthur. Truman replaced MacArthur with General Matthew Ridgway. In, uh, no in Japan. <laughs> There's a reason, because he doesn't matter very much in terms of <laughs> anything we're about to talk about. So... 
Truman, this is the best. Truman was later quoted as saying, quote, I fired him, meaning MacArthur, because he wouldn't respect the authority of president. I didn't fire him because he was a dumb son of a bitch, although he was, but that's not against the law for generals. If it was, half to three quarters of them would be in jail, end quote. Jeez, that's how you do it. I love it. That's how you do it. God damn, Harry S. Truman. Way to go for a fucking Harry S. Truman telling it like it is. Well, that's true, because if he was FDR's VP, of course he would have been a Democrat. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't putting two and two together. All right. It's okay. So despite, like clear logic being in his favor public opinion was against truman on this like americans fucking loved macarthur because propaganda god knows um but truman well I, I, I can see it because he was the allied commander during world mm. war ii i mean that's he's got a lot of cachet uh truman's uh approval rating plummeted after this and i'm guessing did he run against eisenhower then? I don't think he did. Okay. Well, at any rate, maybe I'm not sure. partially why. Like, it, it did not do good stuff for his ratings, I guess. As for MacArthur, he was thrown a hero's parade in New York upon returning to uh, the United States. There's a picture of his ticker tape parade. No, yeah, I mean, that it makes sense. It does. Because America, it makes sense. Well, yeah. be- I mean, largely because of World War II. God, we have a fucking complicated ass history. Yes, so we problematic. Do. So problematic. So does every country. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right. So, still entrenched in con- in the conflict, Japan became an increasingly critical ally to the United States when fighting a war so close to its shores. So Korea is still raging on, and Japan's like right there mm-hmm. and an ally. So they're an ally that needs to be kept, especially now that. Their, like, uh, erstwhile dictator, you know, is is now gone. So the need for friendly diplomatic ties with the country were imperative and resulted in more dramatic action being taken. John Foster Dulles, does that name sound familiar? Dulles? As in uh, Dulles Airport? Yeah, he would be the namesake of Dulles Airport in D.C., yep. So back then, he was a former U.S. senator, and he was going to be the future, and and turned out to be the future, President Dwight D. Eisenhower's Secretary of State. He helped negotiate the Treaty of San Francisco, signed in September of 1951, which effectively put, like, a period on World War II in the Pacific theater by formally restoring peace between 47 Allied powers and Japan on behalf of the United Nations. So it was like a formal, like, okay, we're done now. We're, we're putting a peace truce treaty and, to this. And it's in writing. Yes. Um, and it led to the end of the Allied, meaning U.S., occupation of Japan in 1952. So it was seven years that they were occupied by uh, the United States. Now, I specify that there were 47 Allied powers that signed this treaty because those who had aligned with the Soviet Union, including Poland and Czechoslovakia, refused to sign the treaty. Sure. So, yeah, because sense. at this point, the Cold War is now the division, right? Not mm-hmm. allies and uh, Axis powers. 
The Korean War saw not only the restoration of Japan's sovereignty, but a boom to the economy. So sure. basically, the Korean War was kind of what got Japan back up in... The... Running. Yes. Just yeah. like World War II did for us. Yep. Sound familiar? <laughs> An additional side effect to the withdrawal of U.S. occupying forces in Japan <clears throat> was a shift in the conversation surrounding the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, given the technology of 1945, media reports about the, about the bombings were easily manipulated and suppressed, which is exactly what the United States did. So people were not getting a straight story of what had happened. Um, of the fallout. That's cor- correct. Or yes. even of the, the... Or of the incidents themselves. Yes, yes. Yeah. The Japanese people had been subjected to widespread censorship by the United States who weren't very keen on the people in the country. They were occupying, finding out exactly what happened surrounding these nuclear attacks. In 1952, with U.S. censorship no longer the prevailing media force, artists and filmmakers were more free to present a different view of events. Uh, Leading the charge were filmmakers who wanted to use the visual medium to, in the words of the Criterion Collection, explore the aftermath of the bombings. A drama called Children of Hiroshima released in 1952, became the first film depicting the attacks and, more specifically, the after effects, especially radiation exposure. So pretty much, as soon as they were free to do so, filmmakers were like, we know what fucking happened and we're we're gonna depict it. Yes, exactly. In 1953, a much grittier film called Just Hiroshima was released that was a lot more direct in showing the horrors of the bombings. I think I have a screenshot of Hiroshima. Uh, so this this is a, um, a drama, so this is not real events, but that's the kind of stuff they were showing in sure. that film. So it was a lot grittier, a lot. Um, and this was in like the early days of even in American cinema starting to show, or global cinema starting to show more... Um, taboo things that wouldn't have otherwise been shown in Mm -hmm. on film uh so hiroshima the film used thousands of residents of hiroshima including many survivors of the bombing itself as extras yeah i read it had like something like ninety thousand extras which is jesus yeah huge this film was actually commissioned to be made by the japanese teachers union because many teachers who had taught during the war felt guilty about teaching children the party line of imperialism at the time, which encouraged them to be ready to die for their country. So they kind of wanted to push back against that and challenge that and view it like... It's kind of like... um, What were we watching? Um, That Michael Moore film. Michael Moore is a little problematic, but Michael Moore's uh, film where he goes to all the different countries... And sees how they oh, do different uh, where things. Where to invade next? Where to invade next? That's right. Um, and he talks about uh, how in Germany they specifically teach about the Holocaust they do. and about Nazism so that it won't happen again. Right. Kind of a thing. Well, they I make, feel like that's kind of what they this make, is. Like grade school kids pack a bag because. Oh, to to like as though they were needing to evacuate, <clears throat> sort of a thing, or because that's what German Jews had to do. Oh, like, I gotcha. Pack a a bag mm-hmm. and they they try to that's what they do to try to bring it home like this is 
for the rest of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so the, I feel like the, that's what kind of what the, the teachers union was doing here is like, we can't forget this happened. Let's start committing some of this stuff to film. Like, let's make this canon. You sure. Know. All right. So we're going to do like a little weird side bop here <laughs> and go into another history dive. What, what, what are we talking about again? <laughs> I know. But this is going to be a lot shorter. So this one will be about the Bikini Atoll. Have you ever heard of the Bikini Atoll? I have, Atoll? actually, okay. yes. Yep. In what context? Uh, through a World War II okay. documentary. Like, post-World War II documentary. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I like to watch nowadays. Okay. The Cold War era sort of stuff? Well... The, just the post... The effects of the, the war. The very early part of the Cold War, but mostly the effects of World War II, because it's like, you know, how we celebrate it, like, oh... Uh, a soldier is kissing a woman on the harbor. Right. Like, that's how we right. think of it. That's not how it went Mm-mm. for most of the rest of the world. Or even for a lot of the United States. I mean, it's not just like, it was like, yay, now life is cheery and roses. Yes, there was a post-war boom, but there was plenty of bust around that. And Anyway, um, do you know where the where the Bikini Atoll is? I don't. I have no idea. Okay. It's in the Pacific Ocean. Sure. Essentially like halfway between Hawaii and the Philippines. So it kind of just out there in the Pacific. It's in the the middle of the earth. Yes. Yes. It's just just somewhere on earth. (laughs) In the middle of the blue part of the earth. Yes. Um, Do you know what an atoll is? I had to look this up. I don't know. So it's interesting. It's a coral reef is what it is. But it is, um, it creates islands, like habitable islands sure. as well. But it's in like a circle, basically, or semicircle, or some version thereof, with a lagoon in the middle. That's kind of what an atoll is, and there's many atolls. Sounds awesome. It, yeah, it, it does. <laughs> um, but the Bikini Atoll is located in the Marshall Islands, and the Marshall Islands oh, are... Oh, What? Oh, the, the Marshall Islands are like where we basically do all of our bombing oh don't give away oh, I'm what sorry. i'm about to say oh my goodness <laughs> yeah. i don't know why i got all valley girl but anyway yes um you're correct and we're about to get to that anyway the marshall islands are a series of islands located well off the northeast shore of papua new guinea in the pacific ocean um now, I'm not going to dig back into the ancient times of the Marshall Islands. Suffice it to say, yes, there there were indigenous people for a long time living in the Marshall Islands. Um, so, starting in World War One, the Japanese conquered and occupied the Marshall Islands, including the Bikini Atoll. In 1944, during World War II, the U.S. captured nearby Kwajalein Atoll, killing several thousand Japanese soldiers. They ended up leaving just five Japanese soldiers surviving on the Bikini Atoll. All five of them killed themselves so that they couldn't be captured. After World War II, the U.S. military realized the Bikini Atoll, hey, perfect site, middle of nowhere, like, in their minds. Yes, for nuclear testing, exactly. Because they did it in the middle of the desert in Mm -hmm. the U.S. prior Um, And, of course, they were ramping up nuclear testing in tandem with the ramping up of the Cold War. They relocated the atoll's 167 residents. Oh, yeah, there were people living on this island. They were like, hey, we'll just relocate you here. 
Um, they relocated everyone in 1946, intending the evacuation to be temporary. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. It was not. Uh, and by the way, the relocation of these residents is a whole other bad thing that we're not going to get into because it was very much a crime. <laughs> Bringing them back was almost, actually not almost, it was definitely worse. We'll talk about that at the yeah, end. Yeah, I, I know about this too. Oof. Um, I didn't go that far into to things at the end. Maybe you can fill in a few blanks, but nuclear testing on the atoll began almost immediately after the residents had been evacuated with Operation Crossroads, which is two detonations meant to study the effects of the, of atomic bombs on warships. It was either that or it was a uh, guitarathon between <laughs> Steve Vai and Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Or, oh, I thought you were going to say um, if anybody, uh, Eric if it, Clapton because Crossroads was a cream song. Crossroads was also a late 80s movie starring oh. <laughs> Ralph Macchio. And at some point in the movie, he gets into a duel with Steve Vai. A guitar yes. duel? Yeah. That's bonkers. No, um, cream do, did the, went do, down to the crossroads. Da, 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 do, do you know who oh. Steve Vai is, though? I've heard of him. Oh, okay. He's literally one of the greatest guitar players ever. Oh. Okay, yeah, I thought he was a guitarist. And he get challenged by Ralph Macchio in the oh. movie. <laughs> Who won? <laughs> I think Ralph Macchio did. <laughs> That's why it's called a movie. <laughs> That's why it's called a fantasy. <laughs> I'm kidding. So these two detonations in 1946 were the first atomic nuclear detonations to take place after the... the um, Oh, sorry. It was like after the core audience. After what that, that war, after that after, war thing. After Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the fir- these were also the first detonations, not only to be publicly announced beforehand, but to have a press corps audience. And here are the pictures of those detonations. Wow. I know it's fucking. Well, that's a pretty famous shot. We've seen that shot before. That it... bottom one. I've seen that plenty of times. This one, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just we're just looking at huge mushroom clouds, basically. Yeah. But yeah, we're looking at a, a, an atomic bomb detonation. I also really fucking hate how they're like, "Oh, we'll just do it in the middle of the ocean. That won't hurt anything." Oh yeah, because there's at no all. other creatures anywhere around. There's no fish. Fuck humans. Jesus Christ. Okay. So, um, also, there's newsreel footage available of these explosions if you do want to see them. It's um, that well. Is this available. this bottom one is what they keep showing in um, that uh, Amazon Prime series, the Man on the High Castle. Oh really? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Is it like in the opening credits or something? Or they just? Show, I think show. it is, and oh, okay. it winds up being one of the films that is like very crucial to the plot. Ah, gotcha. Spoiler alert. Hey. <laughs> There were at least 90 ships staged to take part in the experiments. <sighs> Fucking hate people. Some of which were full of live animals in order to study the effects of radiation on living creatures. Because we're lovely, lovely people. Because, because. Because, because. The operation ceased on August 10th, 1946. One year and one day after the first bombing. <laughs> Uh, or no, after the second bombing, that was after Nagasaki, yeah. Uh, due to concerns about radiation exposure to sailors decontaminating the ships that took part in the experiment. Um, ugh. It wasn't until nearly eight years later that the next test would take place. So the next series of tests was called Operation Castle. And the first test, Castle Bravo, 
was scheduled for March 1st, 1954. Uh, Castle Bravo would be the largest nuclear detonation ever attempted by a device nicknamed the shrimp. Why not? Why not? Yes, exactly, because why not? This is the shrimp. I'm sure everybody appreciated that being placed over the mic. Wow. That fucker was the largest nuclear weapon at the time. That's that's crazy that anybody even got a photo of it. Obviously, there's lots to be done in advance of such an ambitious test, especially surrounding the safety of anyone nearby. On October 10th, 1953, several months before the planned detonation, the U.S. Navy issued a notice of a large area for nearby vessels and aircraft to avoid when the test took place. A danger zone, right? What they didn't know then was exactly how powerful the largest nuclear detonation ever attempted would be. All right. So now we know about Japan. Now we know about the Bikini Atoll and nuclear testing. Now let's talk about Lucky Dragon 5, also very ironically named. So, in the early morning hours of March 1st, 1954, a plucky little fishing boat called Daigo Fukuyu Maru, or Lucky Dragon 5, was out trawling for tuna. So, the Lucky Dragon itself, uh, as a vessel, was seven years old. It had originally been a Bonito fishing boat, but was later remodeled to a tuna fishing boat, and I am not, nor have I ever been a fisher person. So please don't ask me to tell you why a boat needs to be retrofitted or whatever to change from a Bonito to a tuna it, it, boat. It just needs to be. Apparently, it's just a thing. During its lifespan, the dragon had taken four long fishing voyages. It set sail on its, on its fifth and final voyage out to sea from Yaizu Port, Japan, on January 22nd, 1954, with a crew of 23, under the command of the vessel's captain, a 22-year-old inexperienced sailor, so this is going to go great, named Hisakichi Tsutsui. The dragon wasn't exactly an impressive ship. Uh, It had a weak engine and Failed multiple times. <laughs> so, so its name Soon after was shoving off. Its name was somewhat ironic. It was ironic, just even from the voyage. Exactly. Things on the trip went from frustrating to miserable within a few weeks, as the ship passed Midway Island, north of the Marshall Islands. The dragon had 330 fishing lines, and about half of them got caught up and destroyed in the coral reefs off Midway. It's like half of their tools were destroyed, right? Now, there was the option to give up, cut their losses, go home, but Captain Tsutsui didn't want to return with the shame of failure, so he decided to keep going. But this time, he decided to change course and head south for the Marshall Islands, where he hoped that he and his crew could find some big-eyed tuna. By the end of February, things were still, like, definitely not going well for the not-so-lucky dragon, The crew was running out of supplies and fuel. It was decided that they would have one more day of fishing, March 1st, and then they would head home. Uh, Now, there's a little controversy as to exactly where the dragon was located on the morning of Monday, March 1st, but the consensus seems to be that it was somewhere around 80 miles or about 130 kilometers away from the Bikini Atoll. 
It also seems to be a consensus that even though the crew was not aware of the U.S. Navy's advisory of the danger zone for the Castle Bravo tests, they were outside of it. Though possibly not that far outside of it. There's one source said it may as they may have been as close as 14 miles or 23 kilometers outside the danger zone. It's pretty close. It's not not far, <laughs> especially when you're talking about the most uh, powerful nuclear weapon ever deployed. So, uh, hey, stay out, Jesse. Don't eat the records because <laughs> they're in here. <laughs> At 6:45 a.m. local time. The shrimp was destinated. Oh, my God. Detonated? The children. I blame this on the children. The shrimp was detonated at the Bikini Atoll. (laughs) Blame this. I like like destinated, though. Destinated. It was detonated at the Bikini Atoll. Now, one thing that one certainly hopes for in thermonuclear... This is just sad now. Thermonuclear? Thermonuclear weapons testing uh, is that you don't want any surprises. I'm guessing you don't. No alarms and no I'm, surprises. Yeah, I'm guessing that you everything has been planned to a T. You would think. You would hope. But here's the problem. Uh, the shrimp was a lot more powerful than the U.S. military. Than the U.S. military anticipated. It exploded with an intensity one thousand times more powerful than Little Boy, Jesus. the Hiroshima bomb. They expected a blast of. Oh, our soundproof barrier has been penetrated. Our soundproofing is now back up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I need to find out where I am. You are on the page. Yes, this page. All yep. right. They expected a blast of six megatons, and it delivered 15 megatons. The mushroom cloud from the detonation reached four and a half miles, or over seven kilometers in diameter. That's insane. Like, what even the fuck? Like, what are you doing? Nothing good. While those involved in the testing were obviously anticipating the blast, even if they weren't prepared for it to be so powerful, those on Lucky Dragon 5 had no fucking clue that this was going to happen. They were literally caught off Just out there shrimping. Or trolling for tuna, yeah. Yeah. One of the sailors, a crewman named uh, Oishi Matakichi... Uh, would later describe the site of the detonation off in the distance of the ship, quote, bridge, sky, and sea burst into view, painted in a flaming sunset, in flaming sunset colors, end quote. It's like, they, they called it um, the day the, the sun rose in the west. Like, none of it is good. It's all fucked up. While the crew aboard the ship and the vessel itself were not damaged by the blast, so that's important to note. Like they didn't, they didn't get like knocked to their feet. The ship didn't like sink or anything like that. They were unfortunately within the anticip- unanticipated far-reaching range of nuclear fallout. While the explosion would obviously have been quite a shock, they they kept fishing. Because it was like, well, that was fucking weird. And, like, this is our last day of fishing. (laughs) Um, Demetrius. 
Really? After just letting you in. Really? Go on. Go on. We've dealt with children, now we're dealing with felines. Oh my goodness. Just gotta get through this. <laughs> so close. Okay. Um... Uh, so they kept fishing, but about 90 minutes after the explosion, they noticed a gentle white ash began to fall around them and onto the ship itself. They continued to work to pull in their haul and their and their lines for the next six hours as the fine particles made their way onto their skin, into their eyes, into their ears, into their mouths, into their noses. Uh, the previously mentioned crewman Oishi Matachichi, uh, oh, I guess I had his name spelled a couple different ways. Hopefully this is correct. Uh, he, he even tried to taste the powder, which he would later say felt like, uh, gritty powdered snow. Mm. Uh, but he also said that it had no taste, like it was tasteless. To clean up the ship, the crew used their bare hands to scoop up the ash. While the Lucky Dragon 5 crew was the most famously exposed to the fallout of Castle Bravo and the Shrimp, they weren't the only ones. Residents of nearby inhabited areas of the Marshall Islands also experienced the ash of the fallout, with reports of children in Rongalap Atoll, southeast of the Bikini Atoll, playing in the ashes though it were snow. So, it did not take long for the Lucky Dragon crew to feel the effects of the radiation exposure. Long and short, that ash was fucking radioactive material. Oh, yeah. So, uh, by the evening of March 1st, several of the crew members began feeling nauseous and ill. As they sailed home... Okay, it took them two weeks to sail home. So that this was... And this was not a pleasant voyage. Their symptoms worsened, first to include headaches, dizziness, and diarrhea, and then moving on to... Bleeding gums, open sores, their hair falling out, and swollen eyes. And here's a super fun picture I probably should have made a little smaller of what it looks oh, like no. Yeah, no, to a human's head no. when you get nuclear radiation exposure and your hair falls out as a result. Yeah. Um, long and short, please avoid nuclear fallout when possible. Uh, not that these poor guys could have done that, but anyway. Uh, they were supposed to arrive back in Japan on March 11th, but rough seas delayed them until March 14th. Because they arrived later than expected, their haul of fish initially remained on the ship, where it otherwise would have been immediately unloaded. But in the interim, they were treated at a nearby hospital, at which point they were examined by biophysicist Nishiwaki Yasushi, who quickly determined they were suffering from full-fledged acute Radiation syndrome, or mm. ARS. All 23 crew, 23 crew members, <laughs> 23 crew members were immediately quarantined, and their belongings and clothing's clothing were buried. Sure. Unfortunately, somehow, their fishing hall had been mistakenly unloaded and delivered to various uh, markets mm. in Tokyo. Fortunately, they managed to recover most of the fish, but not all. And it's likely that at least a couple full tuna. And these are, I'm pretty sure these are like gigantic fish, had been sold and eaten, exposing the unsuspecting consumers to radiation. So that's just a big question mark. Nobody knows who else was affected by this. No, it's like a bonus. Uh, 
so Yasushi, the biophysicist, wrote a letter to the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission asking for guidance and treating the crew like, hey, so you're the guys who created this. How do we treat people who get hurt by it? The commission did not respond. Because <laughs> we're motherfuckers. Uh, after their initial quarantine, the crew was transferred to Tokyo University Hospital, where they continued to be treated. In the following months, it became apparent that all of all the crew members, 40-year-old radio operator Kubayama Aichi was the worst off. In August 1954, his health deteriorated rapidly, leading to him contracting meningitis. Mm. He suffered from delirium and had to be physically restrained. This was not a good end for this poor man. He fell into a coma and contracted pneumonia and eventually died of complications from ARS on September 23rd, 1954. So there was a direct and almost immediate casualty of this exposure. And we'll get into the complications of all the rest of it. The remaining 22 crew members had to remain in quarantine for 14 months total. Jeez. Finally being released on May 20th, 1955. <clears throat> Similar to the survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they were largely ostracized by their fellow citizens who thought their illness was contagious, as the aforementioned uh, Hiba Hibakusha, or the H-bomb survivors. Most tried to quietly, like, okay, I'm just going to move somewhere else and try and start a new life. Makes sense. Uh, but most continued to suffer various effects of their radiation exposure for the rest of their lives. The Lucky Dragon 5 crew members were not the only ones to feel the effects of radiation exposure from the shrimp. <laughs> I don't know why I said it with that intonation, but... Later studies would estimate that up to 55% of cancers developed by residents of the northern Marshall Islands were caused by Castle Bravo tests. And many residents experienced awful side effects of ARS very similar to those of the dragon. Mm. The U.S. response to the Castle Bravo catastrophe was largely and rightly criticized because we're shit at taking fucking responsibility for fucking anything. The U.S. downplayed the effects of the fallout on the Lucky Dragon and would only eventually pay victims' compensation to Kuboyama Aichi's widow in the not-so-generous sum of $2,800, which is, like, yeah, somewhere about nothing. around 27000 Still nothing. That's insulting is what it is. Despite them brushing off the dangers of the dragon, uh, uh, dangers to the dragon, the U.S. also enacted strict regulations on imported fish. So they're like, oh, no, 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 you guys are fine. Hey, don't take any fish from Far Japan. Like, what the fuck? I'm, I, I'm kind of stunned they did that. They're just like, eh. right, like they, like that they cared enough about mm -hmm. U.S. citizens, right? Um. This resulted in a bad market dip for fish from Japan and eventually led to over 75 million tons of contaminated tuna being destroyed. Again, like mm. the effects to nature. The total amount of compensation given to victims, that includes like just the entire country of Japan, the Lucky Dragon crew, the Marshall Islands residents, by the U.S. government is highly contested. There was a $15.3 million settlement. Now, assuming this was in 54, that would be around $150 million today. Uh, paid to Japan by the U.S. And about 5,500 of it, or around 53,000 of it today, went to each of the surviving crew members. That's still, like, that's fucking peanuts for the suffering that they went through. But 
When the Marshall Islands became independent from the United States in 1986, an agreement was reached to establish the Marshall Islands Nuclear Claims Tribunal, who could uh, seek compensation from the federal government to survivors of nuclear fallout. The U.S. claims it claims it set up a victim's compensation trust fund of $150 million, but many Marshall Islands citizens dispute that amount. Any funds established were dried up by the turn of the 21st century, and a suit reached the Supreme Court demanding further compensation. The court declined to hear the case. Marshall Islands residents continue to exhibit exponentially higher rates of cervical cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, and death due to gastrointestinal disease. Now, one would think this entire disaster would have stopped the United States from conducting nuclear testing at the Bikini Atoll, but we never stop, never stopping. We are the fucking United States. Testing resumed in 1954, (laughs) the same year, despite former Atoll residents being told they were going to be able to return home. Mm -hmm. So it's just fucking lie upon lie. 21 further tests were conducted in total um, in 1954, 56, and 58. And at that point, at 58, nuclear testing ceased on the Atoll. Ten years later, in 1968, President Lyndon B. Johnson promised former Bikini residents they could return home because they they were like, oh, radiation in the area has fallen to acceptable levels. But that idea was quashed when it was found that coconut crabs, a main food source on the atoll, still had unacceptable levels of radioactivity. About 100 people moved back in the 1970s, regardless of the risk, they immediately and continuously felt the effects of the remaining radiation, which resulted in cancer, birth defects, miscarriages, and stillbirths. They were evacuated. They were evacuated again as a result. A few elders returned to the atoll in 1987, and at this point, only a literal handful of caretakers, like now today, inhabit the island. It's like five people are there. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. The entire, the entire tragedy of the nuclear testing that caused such harm to befall the crew of the Lucky Dragon 5 and the residents of the Marshall Islands, along with just the trauma of being victims of the world's only nuclear attacks to date, solidified Japan as the world's leader in the global nuclear abolition movement. One of its biggest champions is Oishi Matachichi, one of the aforementioned Dragon crew members. He's 86 years old now. Wow. Still alive. But he has a lifetime of anti-nuclear activism. After his radiation exposure, he moved to Tokyo. He basically like tried to... He was like, let me move to the big city where nobody fucking knows me and just try and live a fucking normal life. I'm so sorry, sir, if you don't approve of swearing. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Anyway... So he was, like, working in the dry cleaning business. Um, But in 1992, he developed, like, a litany of health problems, including hepatitis, liver cancer, Mm. and I think, like, an enlarged spleen or something. Anyway, many of the crew contracted hepatitis C because of blood transfusions they had to get. So... Additionally, his first child was stillborn with major birth defects. So just, like, you know, another fuck you on the fuck you cake. Uh, the, uh, the Japanese government refused to acknowledge the obvious connection between his ailments, his child's birth defects, and the radiation. He sued for insurance coverage of his and his fellow shipmates' health problems, which were denied. Hey, sounds like good old U.S. healthcare system. 
He fought all the way to the Ministry of Health, which 45 years after the disaster finally ruled that their insurance should provide coverage for hepatitis C and that if any of them died from hepatitis, their death certificates should list their radiation exposure as a part of the cause, which is a big, that's a big gain and very important. And this is Oishi um, with the Lucky Dragon. So I didn't get into this, but basically the Lucky Dragon um, is now in a museum in Tokyo. Oh, okay. It was uh, decontaminated or whatever, and it's now on display. I hope so. To wrap this all up, last paragraph, let's go all the way back around to what launched me into this whole story, right? So in 1954, as I previously mentioned, Japanese cinema was already exploring heavy themes of the effects of the nuclear attacks of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. After the Lucky Dragon 5 disaster, it felt to many Japanese people like yet another nuclear attack. I mean, this was a Japanese fishing vessel, you know. These events began inspiring more allegorical theatrical expressions, most notably in producer Tomoyuki Tanaka. Tanaka recruited filmmaker Ishiro Honda, a formal Imperial Japanese Army soldier, who had been amongst those 5 million people repatriated to Japan after the war. And with writer Takeo Murata and storyteller Shigeru Kayama, they conceptualized Gorija, a monster that would symbolize the horror of the devastating nuclear attacks on Japan. The word Gorija is itself a portmanteau of the words Gorira, which means gorilla, and Kujira, which means whale. In Tanaka's words, quote, the theme of the film from the beginning was the terror of the bomb. Mankind cre- had created the bomb and now nature was going to take revenge on mankind. End mm. quote. The, the very design of Gorija included a head that in certain scenes would look like a mushroom cloud rising above the crowd. Oh. Yeah, and then, yeah, it was pretty interesting. The film, later Americanized as Godzilla, King of the Monsters, so that's where it goes from Gorija to Godzilla, was released by Toho Company Limited, who still owns the rights to Godzilla, as we learned, um, on November 3rd, 1954, just weeks after the death of Koyama Aichi. The opening scene depicts a Japanese fishing boat floating at sea, and the crew members are relaxing after a long day. Then a massive explosion occurs. As they run to look at the cause of the noise, a blinding flash of light overtakes them, destroying the ship. It is Godzilla. It is the atom bomb. Oh. And that, my friends, is the story of Lucky Dragon 5. Wow. Thanks, Zach. Yes. Now we know the influence behind the movie. Yes. Isn't that like literally the opening scene of the original 1954 Godzilla? these events. Exactly inspired by it. Like literally. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. I know. Isn't that fucked up? It is. (laughs) I think it's so like, I, I kind of, it's, it's kind of fucked up that like, our little six-year-old nephew was all, Godzilla, Godzilla! And like, do you understand the meaning of Godzilla? <laughs> no, he doesn't. And that's, that's fine for that's now. That's fine. It's absolutely yeah. age-appropriate. We're not, we're not, we're not going to teach him about uh, nuclear fallout at six. No. Or are we? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
it just reminds me, so when we were driving, because um, the kids moved here recently with their mom and dad from uh, from Rochester, or the Rochester area of New York, um, and when I was driving them down, I knew uh, Zach really liked Godzilla, and I was like, hey, Zachy, have you ever heard um, Godzilla by yeah. Blue Oyster Cult? Yeah, right. And I played it for him, and you know, he liked the, oh, no. There goes Tokyo. Go, go, Godzilla. Yay. Anyway, um, I thought that it was really interesting that at the very end they say, history shows again and again how nature points out the folly of men. Sure. And it's just like, I, I had, it's so easy for us in like a post-Cold War era to forget that we're all fucking still sitting on nuclear oh, bombs. St- stockpiles. <laughs> So all over the world creepy it's really horrific it's really horrific and we've learned jack shit so anyway happy holidays <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> i don't know if you guys can tell but we're mildly punchy on this one between mildly. taking care of kids and it's kind of late i'm getting kind of tired but you have to stay up because you're trying to shift your sleep schedule. You're not going to be able to. Uh, probably not. Not tonight. Uh, I'll work on it tomorrow That's night. what you said last night. That is. Because <laughs> you're working nights again. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll get through it. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot to do like the first couple weeks in there anyway. So I'll be busy. And, that, and that's that's fine. Ah, well, anyone who likes when we're not too chatty will like this episode, because I think we're too tired to bullshit too much more. (laughs) Here's the front page. Oh, thank you. So that was the... Okay, this is You don't have to say the Japanese name if you don't want to. I want to try. Okay. I must try. (laughs) Do. Or do not. So this is the Daigo Fuku... Fukurayu Maru, otherwise known as the Lucky Dragon Five. That's all it says. Like yes, that's right. That's okay. it. This is the tragedy of the, the Lucky okay. Dragon Five. I was gonna say boating incident. Uh, that, that no, would, I that just want to call correct. it Lucky Dragon Five. Okay, so that was the Lucky Dragon Five. I'm not gonna do mm-hmm. that for all. That was of, the story of Lucky Dragon. 5. Yes, for all of our listeners. Yeah. This has been another episode <laughs> of All Bad Things. I'm David. Hey, I'm Rachel. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Ha, 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 ha.